Listeners, you're listening to Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. Yes, another exciting episode where three friends get together and talk about a horror movie. One of your usual hosts isn't here. He's working on a top secret project, which you'll be very excited to hear about in the future. But I'm Richard. I'm here with Will. Hello. And Eugenia. Hi. All right. Listeners will remember Eugenia. They'll remember you from the Voodoo Extravaganza episode. Yes. And we're going to talk about Skeleton Key, which is a hoodoo movie, <laughs> more so than voodoo, but we'll get to that later. And uh, yeah, let's just thank the Moonrays for giving us that intro uh, creature features at the top of the show and um, say hello to them on Facebook where they are the Moon Dash Rays. Buy their music digitally if you would like to on Apple Music or Amazon. And uh, if you'd like one of our Plan 9 from Outer Space coloring books, that your three usual hosts did together, you can go to plan9coloringbook.com. That's plan9coloringbook.com, and you'll be excited to see what it's like. And uh, it'll click through to Etsy where you can buy the thing. And I'll send you extra stuff. That's the housekeeping. Uh, Eugenia and Will, since you're under the same roof, um, (laughs) whichever of you would like to talk about the recently watched, Kick it off, and then I'll tell you what I watched. Go ahead. Well, the um, Star Trek extravaganza continues. Mm. As we, you know, shoot through the galaxy with Captain Jean-Luc Picard, and I marvel at the set designs, um, which are like the Memphis design group blended with a hotel ballroom, and that (laughs) says spacecraft to me. Yes. Um, yeah. I really, really need a new sci-fi show. Like, I want another Altered Carbon, but better than Altered Carbon Season 2. And I don't like the look of this boring NASA show that is coming on. It looks like it'll be like, I don't know, Law and Order in Space or something. Or it looks too Space force Space I procedurals. I don't know. Sexy and good and gritty and modern and futuristic though do you feel like there's one that is out there that you haven't watched like the new Battlestar Galactica I haven't seen that you know maybe I need to check that out yeah maybe that's good because I haven't Uh, I've just seen bits and pieces of it and I kind of wonder Cylons used to be chrome like uh, half half ass Darth Vader's and now they're sexy women that's too much of an That's improvement. That's weird. Like I have vague, I have vague childhood memories of the original Battlestar Galactica. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh well, it had Lauren Green in it. That was kind of weird as a kid because he was. Oh, it did. Yeah, he was always in Western stuff. Hey, that's not yeah. as. Hey, if you want some something from space, from the 70s or early 80s, do you remember Salvage? Yeah. 
No. No. Oh my goodness. This was Andy Griffith and some other. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> you, they, they... I still don't. Andy Griffith in space. Um, well, uh, some, he was a guy who I think owned a junkyard and he made a space faring rocket out of junk. And they would go, yeah. they would go salvage space junk and bring it back to earth and make money. Brilliant. You know, those guys that drive around in a beat up old pickup truck and they collect scrap iron. He's that, but going to space yeah. in a homemade rocket. Sounds made up, doesn't yeah, what's, it? What's not the love about that plan? <laughs> Matlock or whatever, you know, Andy Griffith, uh, incarnation. You remember Andy Griffith in space. I think it's great. Anyway, what else did you get? Sanford and Son in Space would have been so much better. That's it for us, other than Skeleton Key. Wow, okay. Mine's pretty short. Lots of Star Trek. Okay, uh, I have a short list that um, I was perusing Amazon uh, Prime Video and put a bunch of stuff into my to-be-watched queue which included uh, some 60s and 70s movies that may or may not be great. And I thought, well, some of them will be good because they're bad. And The Horror of Party Beach is a 1964... Oh you know this one? Yeah. <laughs> You've watched it? Uh-huh. I really, really had a good time watching this one. Oh, it's a great one. Yeah, um, it's a uh, cautionary tale about radioactive waste being dumped into the water. So I don't know if you could call it an, an environmentalist um, cautionary tale or what you'd want to call it. But this was, uh, let's see, written by, who was it written by? Uh, anyway, it was directed and co-produced by Del Tenney and writ written by Richard Hilliard. And I think all the people starring in it were his friends and people he was in relationships with best I could tell. Um, yeah. yeah, they made this in June of 1964 for about 50,000 bucks. It's just under 80 minutes long. It gets right to the point. The monsters look like crap. <laughs> they're made of paper mache. And, oh my goodness. They're bad monsters, but with it, the hot dogs in their mouth. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like they have a mouthful of like, uh, cigars or something. Yeah. Hot dogs. Um, yeah, yeah, googly eyes. yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, you've got overacted drunks, you've got horny teens, you've got, uh, movie bikers of the time. They're not like movie bikers of, of later, you know, iterations, but this one's a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's got music throughout. You could even go so far as to call it a musical if you wanted to. The other thing, uh, that I watched that was pretty cool. Uh, Mulan, the new Mulan. I've got a uh, code for the Disney channel from uh, a friend slash neighbor and some friends, okay. some friends who uh, are part of the quote unquote pod came over and watched Mulan with their new baby. And uh, it was pretty good. I mean, visually dazzling like you'd expect from Disney having spent a ton of money and pretty much any wide shot you think, oh, this is all CG but you don't really see the seams very much. It's pretty seamless. Was the look really, was the look really different? Like, I don't, I guess maybe I'm showing my age. I don't consider Mulan to be like that old. 
like, what's wrong with original Mulan? Like, was, does it look really different? Well, it's different in the sense that it's live action and not animated. Oh, yeah, that's okay. that's that's the catch. So uh, it looks okay. it looks great, and uh, I mean they know how to spend their money. Uh, Disney really do, and they hang on to properties forever. But they did a great job on it, and I can't I can't say I usually dive into the Disney World very much, but I did, and uh, and enjoyed every minute of it. And it was not a musical somehow. Uh, you know, being a Disney thing, you'd expect oh it's going to just everyone's going to start singing and looking longingly into each other's eyes or whatever, but that wasn't what happened. Uh, so that's a I think there should be more musicals. There should, there's not enough musicals. Um, the horror of party beach. Um, uh, the other thing I watched was it was only three episodes and I don't know if they're going to do another season, because it's like one season, three episodes. Okay. Uh, Fear City, New York versus the Mafia. This is just released on Netflix. And it's it, it kind of scratches that itch for the uh, sleazy New York of the 70s slash early 80s. <laughs> you know, if, uh, if you watched all the Scorsese films lately and you just feel like I need more of that, you know, you could watch Taxi Driver again or you could watch... Uh, Fear City, New York versus the Mafia. It's just all true crime docuseries where you get to find out about the Gambinos, Columbos, Bonanos, Lucchese's, and Genovese crime families. Um, nice. Bananas. The bananas. <laughs> the bananas. Yeah. They were all kind of Fearsome bananas. Fearsome name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know that I mentioned we would or wouldn't spoil things, but... Uh, try not to spoil the recently watched we will spoil the featured attraction and uh we are not professional critics with that being said <laughs> i don't know if you're getting paid but i'm not oh yeah big bucks yeah big bucks for podcasting don't let anyone tell you mm-hmm. differently so yeah. skeleton key I think I kind of suggested this one and will you sort of reacted as like, Hey, yeah, we actually have that one because we really enjoyed it. So what is your history with this? I think we saw this in the theater. Oh, okay. That was Oh five. Huh? Yeah. I believe we went and saw this in the theater, which is kind of surprising because, uh, Eugenia didn't like horror films at the time. Um, but it was in my wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, and it was uh, it was before I got really back into horror films because of the podcast mostly, but uh, yeah, this was one that we somehow got on our radar and we decided, yeah, let's go watch that, and that was pretty good. Yeah, so, so at the time, in um, whatever part of 05 this was, let's see if I can pull up a release date here. Uh, it was released in the... I say it was the fall. It was uh, no? August, so the latter part of summer. Oh. So, yeah, late summer of 05. Uh, Eugenia, were you at all interested in voodoo at the time? Uh, yes. In fact, I think that's probably why we went to see that movie. Um, I was interested in voodoo. I was reading about it. I'm not a Udu expert. I'm not going to pretend that. Um, 
but I was reading about it, I was studying it a little bit, and I was really into it at that time. And so that is, I think that's why we went to go see the movie and why we actually have a copy of Skeleton Key. Okay. Now, now when you when you get into it, um, the listeners uh, who have not heard our voodoo extravaganza, uh, for those who don't know you, can you uh, give a brief introduction of of who you are, what your expertise is, uh, where you got your knowledge, that sort of thing? Sure, sure. So, um, I've always been interested in the occult ever since I was a kid. Um, I've always been interested in magic and folk magic. Um, I am initiated into traditional Haitian voodoo. I am a mambo asogwe. Um, and I did, I do practice folk magic of, of various types. And I did study hoodoo. I took the, oh, um, Lucky Mojo correspondence course. Um, so that's a big part of, you know, why I know anything about hoodoo at all. But that is just one entryway into learning about the tradition. Um, most people know about it because they live it. It's a part of their lives. It's a part of their neighborhoods. It's a part of their family life. Um, but that's my background. And so I, I tend to, if I'm on the show, it usually means there's something, you know, fun and occult about the movie mm-hmm. um, instead of just, say, a crazy serial killer. Right. Uh, and so Skeleton Key was definitely one of those movies that came out that I, I was like, oh, it's in my wheelhouse. Um, I don't think it's quite as good as like Eve's Bayou, um, which is another hoodoo movie that I think um, actually is a little bit better than It's actually quite a bit better than this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure that Eve's Bayou is, it was probably, would be one of those movies we'd argue about whether or not it was horror or not. Okay. Yeah. Some of that stuff kind of straddles the line and, uh, pretty much what we run into with these movies is it's normally if it's Haitian voodoo, uh, there's a trip to Haiti and then everything takes place somewhere in the United States or, well, yes. <laughs> or, or it's Louisiana, uh, flavored voodoo and it takes place in new Orleans or out in the bayou somewhere around new Orleans. It seems like it kind of usually goes one of two ways, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, it does. Now, shoot. There was a movie. Yeah, there's, there are some movies that don't take place. And like Sugar Hill, I think, does not take place. You know? I, no. I, yeah, we're... yeah, I think it was in New York. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. It was in New York. Um, obviously you need to have an African-American population or it's not going to work. Right. Um, it's not really, you know, uh, it can't be too, you need a bit of a melting pot as well, you know, so you're probably never going to get one of these in Denver. No, Um, (laughs) not so much. Zombie nightmare takes place in Canada. Oh, and it has a Haitian, uh, a mambo in it. Well, you know, there's a big Haitian population in Montreal, you know, okay. francophone. Oh, uh, yeah, because you've got that French connection, <laughs> pardon the expression. Exactly. But yeah, yeah there's, something, yeah, there's something that happens there, and I'm sure you could trace the lineage. But, yeah, if there's, 
if there's a if there's a French connection, and somebody made a, a <laughs> and somebody made a the uh, French connection. <laughs> yeah, if Gene Hackman is uh, wearing raccoon yeah, penis bones, he's a practitioner of the view. <laughs> right? Are there any famous people? I mean, I know that there are famous Scientologists, like as far as celebrities. Are there any celebrity voodoo practitioners we know of? Um, well, yes. You know, obviously, you know, for American folklore, we all care about Marie Laveau, mm-hmm. even though that Marie Laveau was actually like three different women. Oh. Um, like but she's J- kind of rolled up into this one figure. Like James uh, Bond. Who, who, yes, who looms large over New Orleans. Um, in local communities, of course, there are conjure doctors, there are famous, um, in local histories, there are really famous conjure doctors. Like, I think, I wanted to, sometimes even if I like something, I want to change it. You know, like, I looked at this movie, and I was like, why couldn't this be, I'm trying to find this tab, because I looked it up. There was a famous, um... There was a famous root doctor in the low country of South Carolina and was very well known. And he had a running sort of feud or rivalry with um, a law, you know, lawman. And I think that would be, you know, high sheriff versus Dr. Buzzard. Oh, so, you know, uh, you, you would have that he was famous. Dr. Buzzard was famous for doing a lot of court case work. And so, um, the high sheriff of course was, you know, very much against Dr. Buzzard and they had, you know, they were always going head to head over things. Um, and so that would be a great story. Um, he's famous, uh, jelly roll Morton, you know, uh, Lomax. Um, there's a lot of people who did hoodoo surveys, um, of folklore surveys in America. And I've forgotten a lot of their names because I'm not as into hoodoo as I used to be. I don't practice it as much, but the Alan Lomax archive um, and Southern Spirits website has a lot of interviews that he did. And one of the people he interviews is Jelly Roll Morton, mm-hmm. you know, famous 20s jazz musician. Um, and Jelly Roll blames, like, he has a lot of career problems in New York. He's, you know, someone is stealing his music and selling it under their own name. He's having, he just cannot get his career off the ground in New York. And he blames his enemies and the hoodoo woman that they have hired. Hmm. And he has tried to go to someone, but she's also working for his enemy. And so that's sort of like a more of a famous client than a famous practitioner. Okay. Yeah. Um, There are songs, you know, um, you know, there's a famous blue song that talks about going to see Aunt Caroline die. And, you know, hoodoo is not just in New Orleans. It's all throughout the South. And then it's through any, you know, any big city with a significant 
diverse population, especially after the 20s and the 30s, when it becomes more commercial and you start having shops like, like in Denver, we have Botanicas. Okay. And Botanicas are usually, you know, folk Catholicism um, and other spiritual supplies. They have candle shops. In other parts of the country, if it's more hoodoo based, they would have like a candle shop. Okay. Where some you go in, tell someone your problem, maybe you buy a fixed candle or get some recommendation, you know, for what to do. And we see this in the skeleton key. She she goes to one of those. Um, and you would have those, you know, all sorts of places, not just Louisiana, not just New Orleans. Like in the song, Aunt Caroline Die, I think she lives in like Newport News, Virginia. Yeah. Hmm. So there's a lot of famous historical figures, you know, who get recorded in these in these studies or in songs. Um, and if you are in the spiritual community on social media today, um, it is full of root doctors and conjurers and and other spiritual practitioners kind of jockeying to for prominence. Sure. Yeah. And you always have to be suspicious if there's in if there's any angle where they're wanting to make money off of it. You know. But that's the American way. I guess it is. I mean, you name it, some you have to get paid. Yeah. You have to get paid. You don't do this for free. It is too much work to do for free. If I do it for somebody, it means I like them a lot if I'm not, you know, or we have some sort of mutual reciprocal relationship. Otherwise, you're paying me. It is too much work and too much energy. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, pretty much, yeah, nobody crosses the street if they're not getting paid a few bucks. So Exactly. And you can't bring me a chicken anymore these days or, right. you know, yard work for me or something like that. Maybe a lot of rum. I don't know. Uh, so, so in its simplest, in the simplest terms for people who don't know the difference Hoodoo versus voodoo. Um, hoodoo is folk magic, and voodoo is an actual religion that has established rules and and uh, a hierarchy to it. Is that fair to say? That's a pretty good. That that's a pretty good basic description. I actually like the way the movie answered that question. They had a character, you know, talk to the audience and ex- and explain the difference, and I thought it was halfway decent. Um. So, yes, voodoo gets very specific. There are specific spirits and specific practices and specific rules, and there's a structure to it. Um, And, you know, in the American South, um, voodoo is very Protestant. You know, the trappings in voodoo are very Protestant. People are getting their hands scrubbed or their head washed at church. They're praying to Jesus for things, Um, you know... It is more, I don't want to say generic, they're, they're, they're praying psalms over things. Um, and the names are for like, there's a lot of spiritual products involved. And that's not unusual, but it's got their own sort of style. Uh, the red brick dust, that is, it, I understand it and it makes sense, but that's a very hoodoo centric thing. Okay. And we see a lot of we see a lot of red brick dust in this movie. Maybe a little too much. She acts like it's going to be a, a 
an electric fence at one point, and I'm like, mm, I don't think it can do that. Um, is that a bottomless jar of brick dust? I have to wonder. Did you notice that? There's so much brick. Like somebody, somebody paid for their spiritual work by by demolishing bricks. <laughs> right. It, it's like the gun that never runs out of bullets. So, uh, have either of you read the, the Anne Rice, um, the witching hour books, the Mayfair witch books? Yes. Okay. Now that gets into some, some different stuff, but takes place in, uh, basically the New Orleans area. New Orleans is so satisfyingly spooky. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, it's got a little, of, a little of everything, uh, spooky going on. You know, it's, it's got the old ways. It's got, uh some different uh, possible traditions woven into things and maybe hiding behind the scenes where you won't know. And uh, a lot of moss hanging from stuff, maybe some fog, a lot oh, of yeah. rain, a lot of rain, old buildings. Uh, and, and of course, if you get out into the country, there's all kinds of uh, stuff that you shouldn't be messing with. Um, th- you get a, a, a little feel of that in this movie where there's a lot of the, uh, <clears throat> You're not from around here. You wouldn't understand kind of a thing. Also satisfying. Sometimes that we would, we could do this movie or a movie like this, but I'm sometimes I get tired of the outsider trope. Yeah. You know, the outsider non-believer trope. I'm also tired of characters who are too stupid to live. Yeah. Um, But (laughs) I'm also tired of the outsider trope. Like the fish out of water. I think they could have been much more interested if she was a local and she did know what was going on. And, you know, maybe they didn't know she knew, but I don't know. I think it could have been more interesting. Like maybe she read a book before she moved there or Googled something. Or maybe she just knew something. I think that would have helped this movie because uh, we had the problem watching it this time is that she just kind of jumps into it. She doesn't really have a reason why she's so interested in in what's behind the door. Right. Is it enough that she's I nosy? Complaining that she, I kept complaining that she was incredibly nosy. Like, yeah. This whole movie is about why you don't have live-in help. Because <laughs> they have no boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> right. This woman has a key to everything, and yet she wants to go one more layer deep into it. And and she does, and, it, and of course it backfires. Uh, I guess the reason I uh, asked about the, the Anne Rice books probably had more to do with the Vampire Chronicles. Uh, the Tale of the Body Thief. This is a body thief movie, as it turns out. Oh. I kind of forgot that this was a body thief movie and that was sort sort of exciting at the end to go, Oh yeah, this is a, they're going to pull a little switcheroo. Oh, okay. Um, That's a good connection, Richard. I have not thought about that book in forever. Right. Because those books were like 25, 30 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) My, my, my background with the Anne Rice books was, uh, I went into a thrift store in Chicago when I was probably 20 and I saw the vampire Lestat uh, just sitting there with the 
front cover missing and it was like a quarter. So I bought this book and I, I read it on a Greyhound bus trip and, uh, ended up, Ooh. yeah, I ended up giving the book away to a guy who was, uh, from French parents, but he was fully American, but he spoke fluent French and he was, and I told him about this book and he was very excited to like have a look at it. And he started reading it and couldn't put it down. And I ended up giving him the book. And then, um, later, later years, probably five years later, I was living in Hawaii and I had a, uh, a commute over a mountain from Kailua, Oahu into Honolulu. And the trick was to, to get a front facing seat because you're rocking back and forth and stop, stop, go traffic. You didn't want one of the side sideways seats. You wanted a forward facing seat. <laughs> So oh, no. yeah, cause rocking side to side is terrible on a stop, go over the mountain trip. And, uh, I read a bunch of Anne Rice books cause it was like, okay, what's the next one? <laughs> so I, I read all the vampire books and then I grabbed the first of the witch books, the, the witching hour. And that really yeah. kind of set that scene. I've never been to new Orleans, but after reading those books, I feel like I had. And, uh, it's, I really liked those books. Uh, I read, I read a lot of paranormal and it's funny because I don't know if they would work if they came out today, the style of writing for like pop paranormal books is so different now. Oh yeah. It's, it's really weird how it changes and you can like date someone's writing, you know, I, I read some things where I've been like, oh, this, this was absolutely written in the early 90s. Just the style, the sentence structure, all of it. Right. And it's very well researched. And a lot of people don't want to put up with that kind of detail anymore. No. And, and, and there's this whole, like, I need to be able to read it on Kindle Unlimited in six hours. Ah. Um. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Uh, so other than the main character being kind of a fish out of water or an outsider who gets in over her head and starts being nosy, uh, the other characters now, John Hurt probably had some pretty tough work to, to do that little in a movie and make it look like a lot. Uh, so I was watching his performance saying, yeah, I don't remember him getting more than a few words out. And sure enough, he's just sort of paralyzed in this movie. And I felt like, uh, Gina Rowland's work was, it wasn't really overacting, but I kind of don't know if, if I believed her as much as I believed him, <laughs> considering that she had all the, di- yeah. all the dialogue. Uh, but, um, the, the casting, it seemed, uh, none of them were actually from the South. <laughs> Uh, so it was kind of a funny thing. You you don't have any actual Southern actors, uh, but Kate Hudson, um, she, she did some of the heavy lifting, but I really enjoyed that smooth style of Peter Sarsgaard. Not, not, not believing he's from the South whatsoever, but you know, it was, it was great having somebody that slick. problem not necessarily with Peter Sarsgaard but that character um 
I didn't, well, this is ties back to like what Will pointed out was like our problem with the whole movie, which was I never understood why she trusted him so much. Right. Like maybe I'm just like, I never trust a boss or an employer in general. Or the cops. But I'm, this would be like if I went to HR or something, I, I just didn't understand why she felt like I can just confide in this guy. He's a lawyer. It'll be fine. But he's their lawyer, which means he's beholden to them. Not anyone who comes crying to him. He's not your, he's not your lawyer. He's on their side, not your side. He is working for them, not you. Why would you trust him? And then how is he from the South? from this area and how does he show up the day after that rainstorm in his nice shoes in all that mud? Yeah. Yeah. That seemed kind of, kind of dumb. Kind of cool thing about this. It was filmed on location on an old plantation. So you didn't have to wonder about like, is, uh, is it just somewhere outside of LA and they just hung a bunch of moss on some trees uh, no, this was actually on location uh, at the Felicity Plantation uh, on the Mississippi River. So when she launches out on that little skiff toward the end of the movie, mm-hmm. um, that probably was on location as well. I did like that a lot. Um, I liked the, the shots from New Orleans. Um, I liked... They actually use two plantations the felicity plantation doesn't have that tree-lined drive okay so they went to another plant old plantation to get that shot and some exteriors and then yeah i noticed i noticed that at the end of the film you know at the beginning she drives down that tree-lined drive but at the end of the film they pull back from the house as an, in an aerial shot and that drive's not there Hmm. It's obviously a totally different property. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of it's kind of cool that they can uh, you know pull one over on you if you only watch the movie once. But yeah, if you watch it additional times, you start noticing things showing up or missing. Yeah. Uh, but that seems like if you're on location in the place where this thing would happen, it it gives the actors probably more inspiration and it gives the audience uh, you know less seams and edges to look at. Uh, I kind of felt the same way about angel heart. I assume that was filmed on location, but that felt sweaty and humid and covered with flies. <laughs> it just felt that way. Yeah. And it, it kind of immerses you. Go ahead, Richard. Oh, it, it just sort of immerses you into the world and, uh, it helps you suspend your disbelief. I found this, movie surprisingly unsweaty um yeah it should have been it should have been more humid i i kept looking at kate hudson um and everybody else and i go well it's wet and it's muddy but maybe they shot it in winter or something (laughs) because it it just should have been more sweaty i felt like in fact there's a scene where she first shows up at this place and you they try to do this weird shot where she's walking she's getting out of the car you see like there's a reflection in her side mirror. You see her back cause she's walking towards the house. And I'm thinking to myself, they need like 
they needed a giant mosquito to fly into the shot at this point. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they didn't do it. Uh, yeah. Well, we were also saying that uh, Kate Hudson could have avoided all this if she had just gotten a neck tattoo at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, this this movie couldn't happen today because all women have visible tattoos. You know, the, the second she should have put two and two together and been like, she's made comments about me getting marked up, and I think I'm in trouble here. I'm just going to go to New Orleans for the weekend. I'm going to get a big old neck tattoo. Right. Which, uh... And, and I'm, I'm no good for the project anymore. Right. And... Who knew that they were just auditioning for someone's body to hop into? Uh, the scene where Ben, where Ben, the the um, uh, John Hurt character, crawls out, he crawls out of the bed, across the room, out the window, and he's trying to escape. He so badly wants to get away from his wife that he's willing to do this in just the driving rain. And then uh, I've made a note here that. Or was this just an elaborate trick to see Kate Hudson in a wet t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of t-shirt and underwear shots. I mean, that was an important costuming choice. It seemed like it, didn't it? I mean, I, it, it's 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 not the it's not the leering male gaze if it's in front of you every other scene. It's not me looking for it. It just keeps showing up. I don't. Right. This <laughs> is like. Clearly, what you need to wear when you are, you know, in trouble in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, you should you should be as close to nude as possible while you're sleeping in the big haunted house. Uh, right. Yeah. So let's talk about set dressing because okay, you've got the location, uh, casting choices aside, whether none of them are from the South doesn't matter. Uh, one of them's from England, so that's even better. <laughs> but. Uh, when you when you see these movies, uh, these hoodoo or voodoo movies, these Hollywood movies, um, it seems like set dressing. There are a set of choices that get made a lot, and uh, and and there's always certain things and things made of certain things, and I gotta wonder, um, you may be, you be maybe more or maybe less critical of this, Eugenia, but you're certainly more well-versed in this. So when they go into this room that hasn't been opened in forever or that rarely gets opened uh, and there's a bunch of stuff in it, or they go to the shop where there's a bunch of stuff in the shop. uh, Mm -hmm. Are you seeing what you would expect to see? I mean, obviously a retail store isn't the same thing as a closed off room, but what do you think of the set dressing on movies like this, this one in particular? This, I liked the set dressing on this movie. I thought it was a very, pleasant movie to look at like i that's one of my little criteria it's like do i enjoy looking at your movie um even if it doesn't have anything to do with hoodoo or voodoo or anything like that i care a lot about do i like looking at this for 90 plus minutes mm-hmm. um and i like the set dressing um the, the room i wasn't that impressed with um for a number of reasons the attic I, at first when she was first in that attic i was like okay, um, Kate Hudson, you're not supposed to be in there. You're trying to hide, and you're running all around this attic. We can hear you. Yeah. Okay? There, there's you, You're clomping all around. You're not hiding. Um, 
why someone have, oh, I think it was a beef tongue uh, spell in a jar. And that's, no, that's not how that works. You can't put it in a jar and just leave it up in your hoodoo room. That's not going to work. Is that what that was? I think, I think that's what that was. Okay. I'm not 100% sure because I was, it was kind of soft focus. I'm like, what is that? Is that a beef tongue with nails? I can't quite tell. What would that spell if that's be? That's what it was. That it didn't go in a jar in your hoodoo room. Is it supposed to shut somebody up or what? <laughs> what does that spell yeah, be? Yeah, okay. yeah. You use that to, to stop someone from talking about you. Oh. And and you don't you don't keep it on the premises. Okay. All right. Well, see that that's something that and, and, about. But I loved, but I really loved the candle shop in the laundromat. Yeah. That I thought was awesome. Like that really worked because, you know, that was a thing, you know, to have a back area in a, I don't know, straight business, like a laundromat or a barbershop or something like that, you know, and that's where all that business happens. And it's, you know, you just know and you go where someone tells you, oh, well, you know, go to you know, the laundromat on 27th and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was great. I liked that whole set. Um, I felt like, again, you know, I was fine with the garage. I wasn't fine with the Kate Hudson character, who again is super nosy and has no boundaries and will just like come in and rifle through your record collection because you're blind and can't stop her, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, Kate I, Hudson has no boundaries. No. No boundaries. She is completely just off the chain and running wild in this movie. Uh, her friend, yeah. her friend. Now this is, this is kind of interesting. Uh, I have to remember to talk about something here later, but uh, they sort of like to anchor this story with, a friend who's a, a woman of color who's from the area who knows a little about this. So her former roommate that she just moved out from, uh, I forget the character or the character's name, but, uh, but she's, she's got, uh, a little knowledge about this. And at one point says, uh, you found yourself a hoodoo room. And she explains that it's a mostly harmless folk magic. Uh, for for listeners who aren't familiar with hoodoo and voodoo, um, my understanding is, for the most part, uh, you might use this, either one of these, to to do your will or your bidding, but you have to observe the basic law of nature that you know if you do something, it's going to come back on you. So you can't just go around shutting people up and and killing people off and not expect any repercussions. Is that true? Am I wrong on that? I should treat you like Kate Hudson is treated in this movie where she keeps going around and saying, it can't hurt you if you don't believe in it. Right. And no one else agrees. They just let her say that. And then they don't say anything. Right. <laughs> and she takes that as like an Nobody affirmation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there are there are no there are no barricades in front of her at all. So nobody corrected me. I must be right. Okay. So it is about. I mean, people. 
people want things, right? We need sure. a new job. We need this court case to go my way. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't like being gossiped about. Uh, I'm sick. Uh, you know, and that's what most people are getting folk are getting magic done for and doing spiritual work for, for the most part. Yes, sometimes you might be trying to get the edge on another business or, you know, stealing somebody's person or breaking some couple up or, you know, that's that's in there. And But the morality of it is up to the individual practitioner. If, if the practitioner is good with the work that needs to be done and their spirits are good with the work that needs to be done, then the work gets done. Okay. I thought the ritual of conjuration was, like, super ambitious. I don't know. <laughs> Darn it. I don't know that we could really pull off a body swap. We'll cut that um, out. Yeah, we'll cut that part out. <laughs> okay, good. Jump, jump back in but with that. that, that ritual was, was was super ambitious in Hollywood um, but there's no threefold law that's a that's a very specific brand of Wicca that believes that nobody else does hmm I guess there I guess I'm thinking of of uh, things I've heard from so many other so many other religions where it just seems like there's supposed to be some balance and if not, then I guess you could just go wildly about doing as you wish and uh, consequences be damned because there aren't any? I'm not saying there's no consequences. I mean, you have to carry the weight of whatever it is that you're wanting to have done or agreeing to do. So if you're, if you're a voodoo or hoodoo sociopath, then you got nothing to worry about. You know, you, you don't, you know, but you, you don't, you can try to do what you want, um, regardless, but there, the consequences are just different. They are, um, in a tradition where maybe you have to work with spirits, actual spirits with identities rather than say the spirit of a plant or a mineral, um, they may get tired of your nonsense and not sure. agree to do this work. Okay. Um, there, I I personally am interested in in the concept of karma. Um, but I think we we in the in America as Western white Americans, we like to sort of dumb karma down into a sort of Old Testamenty, you know, be good or God will get you. Um, mm -hmm. when it's really this weird, layered, complex thing that is like a combination of gravity, um, physics, patterns that you keep repeating and can't get yourself out of, um, and, you know, things that you don't even understand unless you get a really good reading about why your life and you are the way you are, and, you know... You have good and bad karmas, and you need to work through it. Right. You know. So, and it doesn't work. So this sort of idea of, like, 
it's wrong to, you know, break that couple up. I'm not saying you might not regret it, um, but you can try. You can you can do it. You can try to do it. Yeah, and see what it gets you. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so in the in the context of the movie, uh, the people who are doing their will are fully aware of what they're doing and and well versed in it. We have. One character who the, the former roommate who's familiar with it, but not well versed. We have the Kate Hudson character, Caroline, who is just uh, completely naive at first and then jumps in like like we said, uh, head first into it and even visits the hoodoo shop in the back of the laundromat. The, the quality wash and dry. And um, and Skarsgård's character does a good job uh, of, of uh, pretending to be naive to it all and saying, oh, it's just all Southern charm. You know, this is, he's, yes. he's like, I was raised superstitious. We're called Baptists. You know, he had that whole thing going on. And uh, so she sort of ends up like in, in so many horror movies surrounded by people who are uh, either in, in, uh, alliance to do something or you know like basically the town is all vampires or the apartment building is all full of the satanists you know we've seen this before and yes like with all the satanist towns in california in the 70s where everybody everybody is in the pocket <laughs> of the big satanist yeah <laughs> yeah you know big satan controls everything <laughs> that's right so so big hoodoo is controlling everything in this town uh <laughs> What, what I got to say, though, is uh, a first time viewing of this movie, you just sort of go on the ride and, it, and it's a lot of fun, you know, and it's in uh, even when we go to pick it apart, uh, it holds up pretty well to scrutiny. It's still fun. It's still entertaining. And uh, it just seems like there's enough uh, enough accuracy to the stuff to to not completely fall apart, because I've watched enough yeah. movies where it's like. Oh, that, that's not a witch thing. That's a Satanist thing. That's not a Satanist thing. That's a witch thing. And that happens all the time. Like, I don't even have to know that much about Satanism or witchcraft to just look at these movies and go, oh, it just all falls apart, you know, if, I, if I'm paying attention at all. So um, now one thing I want to say, uh, when I was in college and right after college, uh, the girlfriend I was with was a hospice nurse uh, who she didn't practice... Um, anything uh as far as the occult goes anything too in depth but she did a lot of bead work so i went to a lot of bead shops back then and i recognized a lot of raccoon penis bones in this movie they were everywhere i mean i, I could recognize i could recognize a porcupine quill uh cordilepo beads uh, uh tanzanite all kinds of stuff i, I recognize this stuff from just four or five years of going into bead shops and I went, Oh my God, raccoon penis bones. Oh, look, there's some more of them. Another scene. This guy's wearing them around his neck. Is are those significant? Doesn't someone get like tangled practically in a mobile of raccoon penis yeah. bones. <laughs> right. They're hanging in doorways, like all the way down to chest level. It's like, it's not a beaded curtain. It's not a good design. <laughs> no. How, how does, did, like, how does this pertain? Do you have any idea? 
That's a lot of a lot of men in that in that township in that parish are having erectile dysfunction issues. Apparently, I was gonna. If I had one guess, I would say it's probably uh, some sort of a uh, virility spell or something. <laughs> you know, um, the doctrine of signatures is what tells us this. So, if if you're having trouble with the erectile dysfunction, you need some sort of penis-like object to fix that. Okay. So, hence your raccoon penis bone. Um, the the three little pigs and the big bad wolf. He couldn't blow the brick house down, you know. So you want something, and you want something Marsy and defensive and nice strong protection. So you want the red brick dust. Okay. You know, and it's all doctrine of signatures. Okay. So so this um, the 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 material does what it looks like it will do. You know, if it's a leaf that's shaped like a heart, then you're like, "Wee, this has got to be for love." You know. Okay, so we don't have to we don't have to read a lot into it. It, it pretty much is right out in front of us. Right. Okay, Th- that that makes a lot of sense. What what's up with the mirrors? Any idea what's is that anything or is that just it's the conceit of this movie? Uh, you know, mirrors are spiritual, and you can do. A lot of things with mirrors there's a lot of spiritual work you can do with a mirror um reflection is important uh mirrors typically indicate another the other side mm-hmm. the unseen side the the spiritual part of the world that we just can't see you know that's you know and you can gaze into a mirror you can scry into a mirror Mirrors with bear using them, yeah, like the, their whole plan, like I said, is is completely Hollywood and mm-hmm. overly ambitious. So sure. I'm more interested in how that big standing mirror caught, created a big enough breeze to blow out all those candles because that was a lot of candles. Yeah, that that was going to burn that house down and look like an insurance job. Yeah, I was like, that is a lot of candles. Yeah, y'all, y'all ought to pump the brakes on the candles a little bit. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's an old dry attic. I don't know. Maybe it's really humid. Oof. It could be humid. Maybe those leaks help. Yeah, it's true. It could be wet and moldy in there, but still, yeah. it's hot. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we go on this whole ride. We get to the end. This is a very uncharacteristic very un-Hollywood ending to have the the bad guys do what they're going to do. The villain wins. Yeah. I kind of loved it. Yeah. Because it's so un-Hollywood, like normally somehow Kate Hudson's going to pull it out and, you know, but she doesn't. The, the lawyer will swoop in and save the day. Yeah, till till she gets. I mean, she is nosy. She starts flipping through his collection of books, and he's got like lawyering for dummies and you know stuff like that. And then he's in this new body, and he's like, "Okay, do I want to be a lawyer? (laughs) How else am I going to leave the house to the new body of the 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 woman now?" I did find it interesting that uh, that she says at the end the the character who is now in Kate Hudson's 
Caroline's body says something about, I thought we were going to get a black one this time. So this, this old black couple from the 1800s wants to end up back in black bodies, but they keep having no success with it. And, uh, the black ones never stay as, as the lawyer says. Well, yeah. Yeah. They know enough to get the hell out. But I did think that was funny. Um, and we're not the, the right group of people to talk about it, but I'm like, this could go into a whole like passing discussion about passing and privilege, but we'll, oh, we'll leave that. Well, yeah, that, that would be on into the next movie, but yeah, they would probably experience a whole different world with the white privilege that uh, some people think doesn't exist. Um, which I personally think it does. Uh, absolutely exist i mean oh yeah i mean that's not even a question i mean it's a it's people think it's uh it's completely subjective and i think it is objective uh i don't even want to get into examples of it but uh i've seen myself just blithely go along and not have any trouble where my neighbor across the street did for no other reason right i used to have these arguments and i'd be like okay Times are tough. You know, you've lost your job. You've got this situation that's going on. Would it be worse? Now, suddenly, pretend you're black. Has everything gotten worse or not? Is it harder or not? And, right. you know, it's real hard to say, no, it would be better or it would be the same. No. Yeah, I, I kind of have, have given up with arguing. I did a little experiment where I railed a little bit against some things on Facebook just to see what kind of reactions I would get and even, even engaged a couple of people directly. And I decided I'm banging my head against a wall and I'm not going to do it. It's uh, I heard somebody use the expression, protect your peace. And it's like that. I, there's, there's nothing peaceful on social media when you start engaging people who are willfully ignorant and side sidebar anyway. <laughs> It's not even a conversation that we're having there. Like I usually save this stuff anymore for actual in-person conversations Yeah, because the stuff, the comment sections and social media, that's not, I don't think for the most part, those are real conversations or, or even designed for a real conversation. They can happen, but that I think is like the exception, not the rule. Okay. Now, uh, before I ask sort of the, the usual questions at the end of the movie, Will, I have to ask you, um, you've always seemed like a more pragmatic, uh, maybe not, a, not as much a believer of a lot of things outside of, of uh, our usual physical world. Um, what was it like when you were first introduced to the concepts of voodoo? What was that like for you? Hmm, good question. Because I'm still kind of new to the idea, like two or three years new to the idea, because you you mentioned one time, oh, Eugenia's going to Haiti. And I jokingly said, oh, is she into voodoo? And you said, as a matter of fact, she is. And the reason that the reason that kind of surprised me was it's like, ah, you know, Will seems pretty, pretty much in this world. And like I said, pragmatic. And then uh, it's like, well, that's surprising and I don't know why it was surprising but it was and 
And so I got to say, this is, uh, this is probably not something you experienced early in your life. So yeah. Well, no, uh, I had not really, uh, even thought of voodoo, uh, until, you know, uh, Eugenia and I started going out. Um, obviously I'd heard about it, but you know, voodoo was something that happens in Hollywood movies. Uh, I mean, I knew it was religion, but, uh, it was, I don't know, not certainly not anything I'd met anyone who practiced. So it was kind of, uh, kind of, uh, a learning curve there. Um, sure. You know, um, yeah, I, I guess it is a little strange, but uh, <laughs> it works for her. Right. And it was 100% new for you, other than, like like you said, <laughs> our, our, our familiarity via movies, which, is <laughs> yeah. as we're finding out, super accurate. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, um, yeah, probably the most I'd, I'd seen is a serpent in the rainbow. Right. Yeah. And, and then other bits and pieces in other things. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it would have been angel heart serpent in the rainbow and some other things. Oh, yeah. Angel heart. Yeah. And, and the, it always kind of felt like, um, yeah, some people will say there's, you know, only good done with it. And then you turn around and there's always somebody who's like, Oh yes, but the sinister sinister use of it is also very real. And, and here we go, and someone's going to use it against our main character. And so, yeah, I, I think that to a much lesser degree, I had that learning curve with uh, um, an ex of mine who her folks raised her as a Protestant, and I was raised up to a certain age as Catholic, and then my, my mom kind of lost interest in going to church and all that stuff. So I never got the, you know abundance of people talk about Catholic guilt and it was pretty much like you go to church and you sit down and shut up and the, and the priest does all the stuff and you pretty much stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down and repeat this and respond to that as told. So there wasn't a whole lot of free will to jump around the aisles being wild and crazy. And when I went to one of those churches for um, an obligatory visit, I was like, what is going on here? There was a whole lot of crazy stuff. And so I had that learning curve uh, with something that should have been way more familiar than it was. It's like, it's just a different brand of the same stuff. And it was not, it was very much not what I was familiar with. So I appreciate that. I feel like Catholicism, it gives you a good prep. <laughs> you know, it, it's better, obviously, if you can come up in one of these traditions, you know, without the interference. But Catholicism gives people a better, has more magic in it than a lot of other things. Oh, sure. Um, it could be Christian. And I like that about it. You know, we have the saints, we have the novenas for every problem under the sun. Um, Transubstantiation. That's know, that's some magic. Have, Yes, we have the rituals and the incense and, you know, special masses and all of this great stuff. 
you know, so you sort of should get your feet wet there and be like, ah, all right. Yeah. I want this, but more. Okay, I think I need to get St. Jude on this problem, you know? <laughs> right. Oh, there is a thing, and, and uh, listeners have heard this before. I grew up in the, um, the south side of Chicago. I would always hear people talk about this whole thing you do for real estate. Now, have you heard this about burying? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, burying the saint yeah. statues in your yard. I don't remember the specifics, but I was, I was there. Uh, I was working as a graphic artist at this place that made uh, grocery store flyers to be inserted in the newspapers, and uh, I think I was probably like nineteen or twenty, and I was hearing this for the first time. Like, I don't think I ever heard my mom or any of her friends or my dad or anybody talk about this, but is it St. Jude who, who you bury in the, in the yard? Who is it? No, it's it's St. Joseph. Joseph, okay. And it's, it's coercive because you bury him upside down. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is a little, like, twist. I don't think, I don't know if people always realize because, like, putting the saint upside down is like an act of coercion. Like, you do it when you... When you get it done, I'll fix you and put you right side up again. And that's why, like, really great old saint statues sometimes will have, like, removable parts, like Uh a removable hand or an arm, and you take it. And you're like, you want your hand back? (laughs) Well, you know what I want. (laughs) Look what I have of yours. (laughs) Oh, that's crazy. Okay, um, that makes sense now. uh, Because, and I don't know if these people in the Midwest with... You know, I can at will do a, a very nasal Southside accent for you. Um, having lived out in the world, nice. a, a lot of the edges have been sanded off of it. But uh, but but, I, but hearing these these ladies who at the time were probably in their forties or whatever talking about, uh, oh, did she try burying Saint Jude in the yard? You know, <laughs> or, or Saint Joseph? Did she try burying the statue in the yard? Catholics also have supply stores, much uh-huh. like botanicas and candle shops, uh-huh. and they have actual like sell your house kits. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy. When I heard that, I was like, "Oh, you are so just blowing my mind right now with this." <laughs> uh, so that was that was really great because that is some folk magic right there. I mean, there is. Oh, absolutely. It's folk magic. Yeah. Nothing else but. (laughs) Right. And for it to come out of the most bland, uninteresting uh, Midwest people like that, it's so crazy. But they do it. They do it a lot. It's all over the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure well beyond, but it feels like it comes from there. And uh, yeah. That's a that's a thing. That's a whole thing. I, I don't want to do a whole show on yeah. <laughs> crazy Southside stuff, but uh, well, that'd be fun. <laughs> oh God! Well, I'll tell you one more. As far as saints and statues and whatnot are concerned, um, a lot of times when people would get rid of their old clawfoot bathtub for a newer version, like a lot of people were doing this in the '60s and '70s, they would take that mm-hmm. old. Those are made of cast iron. A lot of people don't know that, but they're made of cast iron and they're covered with enamel people will bury that or somehow cut it in half and make this sort of shell to house mary in their front yard yeah <laughs> you've seen this yeah 
it's the craziest thing. It's it's like it was right around the same time everyone was taking tires, turning them inside out, and cutting them so they look like a big flower. Oh, have you seen those? Ew. Yeah, Ew. <laughs> it was that kind of tacky front yard stuff, and it's not anything we would ever have done. Not that you know. <laughs> Not saying we're the classiest act on the block, but we weren't going to be making <laughs> we weren't going to be making bathtub shells for Mary or <laughs> inside out tires into flowers. I think the bathtub shell's a little tacky. Like I would prefer the cement block or adobe little niche that sure. someone has to actually build. I think the bathtub is mm, no. It's a little weird. Um, anyway, yeah. so. Uh, Back to the movie. Uh, so we get everything, we get everything we get uh, right up until this harrowing, crazy ending with the the nurse Caroline trying to save Ben and get him out of the house, and it doesn't work. And she leaves on a boat. She's made the phone calls. She ends up back there, and it's all for naught. She gets body swapped, and wow, that's that ending that we didn't expect, and. You know, we've gotten all these reveals sort of in the last 10% of the movie. Uh, did this work for you, Will? Is it, yeah. Is it satisfying to not get the usual? Yeah, I was satisfied for the, you know, the villains to come out on top for a change. Yeah, were, were you on to the Sarsgaard character, the, the, the uh, novice lawyer? Did I first watch this? No. Uh, although when he didn't want to step over the red brick dust, that should have been a big clue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but she she didn't think about it. And when I first watched it, I didn't think about it either. But it's so obvious, you know. Yeah, and you uh, could you could attribute. Oh, look out! Yeah, you could attribute it to well, he's hired by them. He works for them, so he's in their camp. You could you could spin it that way if you wanted, but uh, so is this um, is this something you recommend for horror fans? Are they gonna is it gonna check enough of the boxes and scratch enough of the itches? I think so. Okay, so Eugenia, how about you? Did this did this work for you the whole way it all wrapped up and in a bow like that? Oh, absolutely. I I kind of like the fact that she didn't succeed because. I didn't think she was the smartest character. No, she was a little you know, dumb. You know, there was so... She didn't reach out to enough people. I was like, why weren't you talking more to the people at the gas station, even? Or the laundry? Why weren't you... I thought it was fine, because she just made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> she didn't pay attention. She had no reason to trust that lawyer. She shouldn't have noticed the red brick dust because she did the big red brick dust experiment in her own room and mm-hmm. it worked. Yep. Um, and so I, I like the fact that it wasn't the conventional somehow some deus ex machina, Kate Hudson will find her way out of the situation or she'll get rescued. Like, nope, you smoke now. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're now that you're now that old spirit and you smoke funny black cigar cigarettes. Um, so is this something, okay, now, now let me ask you for the consideration that Halloween's getting closer by the day. Is this something the non-horror fans can watch for a good little spooky, uh, 
weekend watching or whatever for their Halloween stuff. Do you think this is going to yeah. work for the normal people? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it may not be the scariest thing you've seen. It could be could use a lot more know, scares, but it's a nice, creepy little thing. Yeah, I think it's it, it's probably just right without going overboard. I mean, we're not gonna we're not gonna say, oh yeah, you should watch The Hills Have Eyes or something. <laughs> you know, just watch watch something like this. It's it's gonna it's gonna get you there, but it's not gonna do as much damage as some other movies might. Definitely, like if you don't like the gore and the jump scares, which sometimes I don't, you know, and you just want something, you know, spooky and atmospheric. Yeah. And not totally obnoxious in any way. Yeah. Um, yeah, this would be a great pick. Cool, cool. Now, this movie got me thinking about uh, about mirrors. Uh, we're going to have to do Oculus sometime. I think that, that okay. one... That one's pretty cool as far as uh, people trying to work around something that's that's super haunted and, and evil. So that that's a, that's a good one for that kind of thing. Um, I guess I kind of picked this one. Will, did you have one in mind for next week? Uh, no, I have to think of something. Okay, that, that's cool. Well, um, anything else before we get out of here? I don't think so. Cool. Well, Eugenia, thank you so much. I know the listeners appreciate having your point of view, and I know I do. So thanks for joining us again for uh, something with the hoodoos and the voodoos and uh, shining enough light on everything for us all to understand more. Thank you very much for having me. It's always fun. Cool. Cool. You're welcome. And uh, I guess um, with that, uh, we're going to do this again in a week, and we'll start working on our maybe some lists for the Halloween extravaganza was give ourselves enough time because it's yeah. gonna it's gonna show up like like a thief in the night. Pandi- well, we know it. Yeah, pandemic or not, it's gonna it's gonna get here. All right. Well, with that, uh, um, listeners, thank you for listening. Mind the doors. <laughs>